Hello, everybody, and welcome to another groundbreaking episode of... Oh, Sorry, I don't even let's know the name start again shows. because I don't have my headphones on. <laughs> okay. Welcome to another episode of Cut to Reveal. I'm Ricky, and I'm here with my co-host, Peter. Peter, how are you doing? Hey, everyone. Can't complain. Uh, so today's episode is an interview with Jeff Barch. Jeff is someone who has been living in LA and has been editing reality TV shows for a long time. Uh, and recently he has made all the bit like he's he's in the middle of transitioning his career so to speak and that's one of the things we're going to talk about with him uh, but uh, you know he started his youtube channel and his brand which is called story greenlight with a focus mm-hmm. about around people like us editors mm-hmm. uh, so have you seen some of his videos I've seen some of his earlier videos, which were more posed towards or focused on editing. So there's one, um, I can't remember the name of it, but basically like edits that are as smooth as butter, uh, which focuses on eye trace, which is really good for anybody who wants to learn about that stuff. It's a very good uh, resource for that. Um, Beyond that, I haven't seen too much of his newer content though, but it's good. I mean, he knows his stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. His channel and his brand transitioned more into serving creators. Mm-hmm. So right now, he's not that much about editing. I mean, he still touches on aspects of editing and storytelling, mm-hmm. mostly storytelling, but he serves creators the most. Uh, but we're going to talk about him, you know, about that transition, what is like his reasoning behind it mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that. All right. Well, let's roll the tape. Jeff, amazing to have you here. I'm excited to talk with you. I mean, we've known each other for a while now. Yeah. Uh, but for those of the listeners who don't know you, can you just briefly tell us just a few words about your editing journey, which, you know, which, which I think is quite a journey. So, what, so just tell the whole story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what happened was I never actually thought that I was going to end up in the entertainment industry. I grew up in the Midwest United States and I was the only person in my entire high school and my whole high school had 200 people in it, the entire high school. And I was the only person who cared at all about anything related to video. And uh, this was the time when you, if you wanted to shoot video, you actually had to have the full size VHS camera. So I was the guy walking around with a camera permanently attached to my shoulder around the high school. And so people eventually got used to me and I just ended up being the one man band. I had to do it all. And I especially came to love the days when my mom would drive me because I wasn't old enough to drive yet. She would drive me an hour, one direction to the state funded editing suite that had linear VHS to VHS and then SVHS to SVHS uh, editing systems and everything came together. Everything comes together at that part. All the stuff that I've been shooting and all the music that I've been planning and all the, all the stuff I've been playing, it all came together in that editing part. And I just loved that. And I ended up going to my first couple of years in college uh, doing very little related to media at all, other than I was doing some radio work at the time, too. I transferred out to Los Angeles to go to film school to start my third year of film school and uh, basically ended up running out of money. I had to drop out of school. And fortunately, what happened was at the time I had been working my tail off and my 
the head of the film department at the college where I was going was saying, dude, we really wish you could stay here, but it's, it's, since, since you have to go, here are some phone numbers of some people that you need to call. One of those phone numbers ended up being the guy who gave me a call. Well, I called him first, and he eventually called me back a while later, and that turned into my first internship where I learned how to run the Avid as an assistant editor, and that connection became my first full-time assistant editor position. And I eventually was able to make the jump from assistant editor to full-time editor at that same production company, which was actually very, that's not normal for most people to do that, to be able to make the jump from assistant to editor uh, at the same company. But that's how it happened for me. (laughs) And I uh, I started building my career doing broadcast TV editing in Los Angeles and I've been uh, editing ever since. Yeah. What is your, on your resume? Bunch of stuff that a lot of people have never seen actually. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I get it. Like I think it's normal for every editor. One of the first big shows that I worked with was a show for ABC called super nanny. And there it was, uh, it's the story of a British nanny coming in to help American families whip their kids into shape. I edited the first season of that. And uh, also, randomly, one of the things that people tend to latch on to is I ended up hearing across the hallway one day that the post-production supervisor was saying, we need to find a voiceover guy for the show. Mm-hmm. And she was saying, we need someone, you know, Male baritone, not too high, not too low, family friendly, you know, something, something that, that basically sounded, ooh, me, 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 you know, because I'd been doing radio stuff and I'd been doing, I'd been doing a bunch of voiceover stuff. And I said, hey, I, I've, I've done a bunch of this stuff. Would, you, would it be okay if I could read some scratch tracks for this? And people kind of looked at me and said, dude, we're looking for a professional voice person. Now go back to your cave and edit, you know? Mm -hmm. And I said, this is stupid. I know I could do this. So I actually brought in a good mic, wrote some scratch tracks, temped those in, actually took some of my sequences from the show, cut it together. Like I was, it was an actual segment of the show. And uh, I burned that to an audio CD and I duplicated those puppies and I started handing out CDs to producers. And uh, one of those CDs ended up in the hands of the executive producer in the uh, the hands of the showrunner on the show. And he called me into his office one day. He said, dude, this is really good. would uh, Would you be okay if we had you do some scratch tracks for the network cut episode 101 going to the network? And I said, sure, just whatever you need, let's do it. And uh, turned out no one at network ever complained. And the people at the production company didn't want to bother going out hunting for some other voice guy. So I I ended up being the voice guy for that show for six seasons. Mm -hmm. And that was was really cool. That was really cool. So um, what was really kind of strange is when I hear... About a year or two later, I have a brother who lives in the Middle East, and he emailed me one day and he said, dude, I just heard your voice on the television 
in the Middle East with Arabic didn't subtitles. He didn't know that you uh, like voice over the thing. Well, he knew I did the show, but okay, and and that's that's probably why he and his family were watching the show. But yeah, everything was had Arabic subtitles, but my voice was still in there. So mm-hmm. it was kind of crazy to think about. But uh, in answer to your question, so I the credits that people would be most likely for to recognize for me would be some some of the shows like Super Nanny on ABC. Then uh, I did a stretch of work working for the Ultimate Fighting Championship, uh, the UFC. Mm-hmm. And they, for a long time, they had this show called Countdown to UFC. And it was their big, uh, it was their flagship promotional vehicle. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was usually an hour long. Sometimes they cut it down to a half hour, depending on the situation. But it was an hour long, flashy documentary promo style piece saying, hey, these are the fighters coming up on this month's great big fight night. This is who they are. This is what they've been through. This is why they hate each other's guts. And this is why you should pull out your credit card and buy the pay-per-view. So a lot of... I mean, and the irony is the people who know me, they, I'm not a UFC kind of dude. It's just not my, not my vibe. I ended up cutting that show for five years. It was crazy. Yeah, and yeah. I ended up, but the story is embedded into it. It's like you, you have a conflict that is embedded into the, the whole thing. So, Oh dude. Uh, yeah. The whole, the, the whole thing is conflict. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. And then I would say probably the other the the other credit that people would be most likely to recognize is a show on NBC here in the states called American Ninja Warrior. And as of this conversation here, we're just about to ramp up to start season fourteen, and I've been on the show wow. ever since season six. Well, okay, so that leads me actually to another thing because uh, you actually lived in LA for how many years? I lived in Los Angeles for. 21, 22 years. Most of the editors or aspiring editors mm-hmm. like think about moving to LA, right? Uh, but you moved out. And my question is like, what are the things that people are not aware of when they move in to, 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 you know, to the capital of entertainment business? Well, there's a whole world of things that people aren't really aware of. Uh, a lot of people probably aren't aware of how very self, well, they may be aware of, of how self-centered the city is. Uh, Los Angeles in particular is very driven. It's a very focused city. It's a very, very, it, it's a very transient city. There are constantly people moving in and moving out. People often, especially people in the entertainment industry, they come in because they're chasing a dream and they yeah. want to get access to the gatekeepers. Sometimes people make it, and most of the time people don't. But when you stay there, when 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 you stay there for longer than a couple of years, you end up really feeling like you're kind of a local. You you, you do feel like you like for a while you after a while you feel like you you made it just by virtue of surviving there for that long. Uh-huh. The interesting thing is the world has been changing so much. Uh-huh. And I don't know. I mean, it it used to be w- w- one of the things that I always talk about is how everyone always had to come to Hollywood. They always had to come to a city like 
New York or Los Angeles or London and say, hey, I'm here and they just I'm going to work my tail off to yeah. see if I can make it. But the world has changed so much and the the access that used to be required just to get access to gear and to you know just just resources to be able to do this kind of stuff so much of what we can do of of, of so so much of what is required of the creative mindset can be done just by pulling out your phone and shooting on your phone right now and you know, I mean, obviously, if you want to make the next, if you want to participate in the next major motion picture feature mm-hmm. kind of thing, well, then that that's going to be a different story. But breaking into that and proving that you've done these kind of projects that have a voice, that have a creative vibe to them, it is more possible than ever before for, for people to mm-hmm. be able to do that without having to be physically present in a city like Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. And like, did COVID actually help you with that transition? I know it's like, you know, crazy to say it, but I think like COVID helped with uh, those remote workflows and things like that. It made it possible to some extent. So you're cutting like, you know, major reality TV show right now. And Mm -hmm. you're like, few hundred miles away right from from where you used to edit you know how does remote editing work for you oh 100 i mean there were so many years when i would sit in my edit bay sometimes literally in a closet mm-hmm. in literally in a closet a converted closet in an office building somewhere in los angeles and i'm staring at this orange piece of fiber optic cable dropping down from the ceiling down to the CPU of whatever Avid system I was cutting. And I was just staring at that piece of cable. And I knew that that was the one thing Mm -hmm. that was requiring my physical presence in Los Angeles. It was this piece of digital spaghetti that physically hooked up the computers to the big servers that have all the media on them and all that stuff. And I knew that there was going to be a day that that changed. And it was just a matter of technology evolving and enough pressures coming to the force uh, to the forefront to make it happen. And meanwhile, everyone, everyone said that remote work would never happen. Now, I mean, people who are used to cutting solo editor projects, whether it's stuff for yourself or whether it's a film project or you know, just that, that kind of a thing where people who are used to not having heavy collaborative workflows, they've been doing remote editing forever now. Uh-huh. But for high-end broadcast television, one of the biggest elements has always been you have to throw a lot of bodies at these shows in order to just get the sheer amount of work done. Uh-huh. In order, in time, so you can actually make air. I mean, it's not as if you're cutting a feature film and you, or or you're even cutting a scripted show and you have one editor per episode 
and you're cutting for Netflix or something like that. And mm-hmm. they have a general idea of when they'd like to drop things, but they, they're not backed into air dates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to uh, high-end collaborative editing, yeah. though, everyone always said, this will only work if we have all the people in the same place all talking to each other at the same time physically. It cannot be done remotely. It will never happen. It cannot be done. And along comes 2020. And <laughs> and COVID says, here, hold my beer. It's like, y- y- let's figure it out, you know? Because, yeah. I-, I mean, it was actually really, it, it was very, very fortunate timing. I'm, uh, I-, I was very blessed the way things worked out because I was working on a show also another big show for NB, uh, for NBC that was, it had just wrapped shooting mere weeks before the entire entertainment industry shut down okay. uh, in 2020 and NBC had just dropped all this money on shooting this stuff and the rest of the city was shutting down and they said, well, we have this show in the can and we have no way to make more content right now. You guys now have air dates. So figure out how to do the remote thing and get it done now. So <laughs> that who knew that it was a worldwide pandemic that would just end up being the force that made it all happen. But yeah, it absolutely, it absolutely forced that to happen. And the interesting thing is a lot of people are still hesitant. A lot of people in that world are still hesitant to leave Los Angeles because even though the technology allows things to be done remotely, mm-hmm. it's still 100% based on your reputation and the relationship that you have with executives who will bring you on to the show in the first place. And it's very difficult to build those kind of relationships in high-end broadcast editing if you don't already have those relationships in place. That's a good point. So if so how people, do you do it? Well, Frank, well, to be blunt, my professional network is shrinking, and my professional network has been shrinking uh-huh. for quite some time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that is, uh, frankly, that's not completely by accident, uh-huh. because uh-huh. I'm also, for a number of years now, I've been working on building online business with the idea of that eventually replacing the income from my full-time client work, broadcast editing work. So eventually that balance will shift and I'll be doing more of more of the online business than the full-time client editing. Yeah, I get it. And by the way, when you decided that you want to run a business and, you know, educate people, as someone who has a lot of experience cutting reality TV, which is, in my opinion, one of the most demanding editing jobs, actually, because it's unscripted, it's, it's a, a huge amount of footage, and at the mm-hmm. same time, you, you're actually like, you know, building the story from the ground. Sometimes you, the, the footage doesn't have the story in it, and you have to find it. So I would say that it's a very demanding um, editing job. So 100%. <sighs> Why did you decide to focus on creators in your, you know, in your editing, in your education business rather than uh, aspiring TV editors? 
You know, it's interesting you ask that because my whole thing was I was building my career and I read a book by a guy named Robert Kiyosaki called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh, yeah. And that book just pretty much turned my brain inside out when he said things like, the rich don't work for money, money works for them. And I was realizing, good grief, what I'm doing here, even though by many measures I had arrived, I was in L.A., in the storytelling capital of the world, doing what I love. I, I I love to edit. I absolutely love to do it. And still, I was trading my hours for dollars. I was wanting to figure out a way that I could get paid more than just once. And so I figured, okay, well, hey, I'll start, I'll start uh, down the road of being a producer because maybe I can get ownership in projects and I can get residuals and get paid multiple times that way. Well, the more I learned about how producers live and work, the less I wanted to be one. And that was just not, not my bag. Uh, and frankly, uh, high-end editors make a lot more money than almost all producers. I mean, they're, the bulk of my career, I was making more money than almost every producer on the show except the executives. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, that's just the yep. way the industry works. And so what I, what I started off doing was I did go after young editors. I did start saying, hey, here's some of the stuff that I've learned, and here's, you know, if you're an aspiring TV editor, uh, you're an assistant editor, and you want to learn the stuff that I'm doing full-time, then uh, here's some stuff. And that's why I initially wrote a book that was targeted towards that kind of market. And uh, I did some group coaching, and I did that kind of a thing. And uh, I realized that that was actually a fairly small market compared to the crowd of people that are out there in terms of people who now realize that YouTube is a mature platform and people are out there who have life experience and they have expertise, but they're not experts at creating content. I ended up going to people who said, I have life experience. I have expertise. I just don't know where to start when it comes to actually communicating this. And so that's what I've been focusing on ever since. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I've heard a lot of stories of editors, how they became editors, right? And uh, usually it starts with being assistant editor, just like you, and, you know, climbing their way up. But I think that, like, YouTube is a new film school, is, is actually a film school for a lot of uprising talents. And I think that we'll hear more stories like, you know, the way I started actually was just creating short films for YouTube. And 100%. then I, you know, made my way up to, to the top level, to the highest level. Um, well, and, and even with that, there is, a, there is a perceived pecking order. Uh-huh. Everyone is always comparing themselves to others in different levels. And this happens when, whether you're an, an actor. I mean, in, when, all these actors who moved to Los Angeles, they would give their wisdom teeth They'd, they'd have their wisdom teeth pulled without anesthetic if they could just get a walk-on line, on a, a regular recurring role on a soap opera, a daily soap opera. Yeah. 
the edit, uh, the actors who are working regularly, mm-hmm. they quickly get to the point where they would not touch uh, daytime soap opera kind of shows with a 10 foot pole. Oh, that's just yeah. way beneath me. And mm-hmm. it just goes on up until, you know, you have this hierarchy of commercial or, or, or corporate stuff, then mm-hmm. soap opera stuff, then reality stuff, then, oh, but I, I, I want to be in a scripted show. Oh, well, they're just, they're just in scripted. Well, I want to be in movies. Well, I'm in small movies. Well, I want to be in big movies. Well, and then the people who are in the big movies, they say, oh, my latest big movie didn't do as well as the last big movie. And, and, and it just never stops. That's true. And, the, and, and it's the same thing. It's the same thing with editing. People get so fixated. They think that editing bigger and better stuff will make them happy. And it mm-hmm. won't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been there. Yeah. I thought that editing bigger projects for that were seen by millions of people and more millions of people with bigger paychecks, I thought that that would make more of a difference. It didn't. What you end up with is it, it, it just ends up like another job and you get used to it. Yeah. So why do you keep doing that job? Why did you get into editing to begin with? And that's the thing that I really want creators today, creatives and creators alike, to think about. It's like, no, if you have a voice, if you have a story to tell, tell your story now. Stop comparing where you are with where you want to be. Just tell your story now. The resources are available as never before. I totally get how, how, why you decided to, you know, to change the direction of your education business. And, and yeah, and you started Green Room. So uh, tell us a few words about Green Room, what it is, uh, what is your crowd? So the brand that I built is something called Story Greenlight. And it is, uh, it, it's an online community and we have a YouTube channel, have a podcast and, uh, you can go to storygreenlight.com. You can get access to different trainings there and get on our email list and you can get creative creative trainings in your inbox every week, all that kind of a thing. For the people who want to level up their content, who want to level up themselves and actually get things done as opposed to just feeling stuck and spinning their wheels and wondering, okay, well, do I need this gear or do I need that gear or just how can I just have the motivation to keep going. Well, that happens when you're surrounded by people who get you. And so the main, the main crowd that we work with, with our community, it's called The Green Room. It's focusing mostly on YouTube creators who have life experience, who are experts in their content, but they wouldn't consider themselves experts at creating content. Mm-hmm. Or they... Uh, they, or they have their feet wet, they already have some traction, and they just want to take things up to the next level. Great. Another challenge that all of us have these days are distractions, right? And dealing with distractions what? and st- distractions. Oh. And stay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got Sorry, my phone was dinging. Yeah. <laughs> and staying focused. So mm-hmm. uh, do you have some techniques that you would like to share on you know how to stay focused and how to step, st- stay creative and you know uh, putting out content. Depending on how people set thing, set their day up, uh, 
I hear so many people within the entertainment industry talking about how they just sit and they just go head down and they just go for three hours or four hours and they don't even take a break and they're in Mm -hmm. the zone Mm -hmm. and they're going and I'm going, dude, that is a recipe for guaranteed burnout. Burnout. Yeah. I mean, number one, if you want to stay focused, number one, you have to go, you have to give yourself a break regularly. Uh, if you, uh, if you consult the research on how, our, our brains work. Yeah. Many people will say that the maximum that we should, that, that, that we should engage in deep work as Cal Newport calls it in his book, deep work is 90 minutes max, and then take a 15 minute break or something like that. So the number one thing in terms of staying focused is to number one, you have to go in cycles. Um, mm-hmm. Other people will, people will definitely say that you need to minimize distractions as well. So however that works for you, turn off notifications, you know, close certain, close certain applications on your, on your phone, on your computer, which will, which will pull you off track. But really, yeah, in terms of staying focused, those are the biggest ones, minimizing the distractions and, going in cycles, giving your brain the chance to refresh and come back and, uh, and not feel like it has to go and go and go and go. Because when you do that, it is possible to just go and go and go, but you will crash and your productivity yeah. will just go it's just down the, down the tubes for the rest of the day. So good luck with that if that's one style. Totally. <laughs> I mean, you, you've mentioned a great book, uh, Deep Work which is highly recommended. It's, yeah. you know, one of those books that really like change your attitude to how you work. Do you have any, like, if you could just, just choose one book to recommend to an editor or a video creator? I would, well, frankly, I would recommend some of the books that some of the high-profile YouTube teachers have already put out. Um, mm-hmm. The books by Daryl Eaves and Sean Cannell and Benji Travis, they are, um, those, those books will provide the philosophical foundation for how YouTube works, how audiences work, how to create regarding you know, existing search patterns and how that actually is something that you can tie into your own content creation. Last thing, just please reiterate where can people follow what you do? And yeah, like preach your work. If people want to learn how to connect with your audience, how to level up your content, how to level up yourself, uh, check out storygreenlight.com. Check out the Story Greenlight podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we can continue the conversation there. Thank you for coming up to cut the reveal and hopefully hear you next time. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. Great hanging out with you. Okay, that's it. What did you think of it, Ricky? I thought it was good. I, I thought it was very interesting that Jeff was an editor on um, Super Nanny and then he oh, also yeah. did the voiceover, which was just kind of like right place, right time. And luckily he had those skills. I like to hear those stories about how people started out where 
I mean, it's very similar to kind of us, I think, or at least my story of like becoming an assistant editor and then working my way up and then becoming an editor at the same place I started at. But then also knowing the behind the story, behind the scenes of like, oh, I edited this and then I edited this. And then American Ninja Warrior is something that I really enjoy watching and to know yeah. that he edits that is uh, is pretty cool. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and he's so well read and well versed at everything he's talking about. Like he, Like I said earlier, he knows his stuff. So it's a yeah. pleasure to to hear him talk about those things with that type of um, background and insight. Yeah, yeah. I think as he actually says in the, in the interview, he mm -hmm. excels as at messaging. Like he's a mm -hmm. good like you know he's he's good at providing a message and delivering it in a very accessible way. Yeah. And uh, yeah, his voice his voice is also one of his biggest strengths, I think. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean like. I've enjoyed listening to a few of his episodes of his podcast, which is mm -hmm. Story Greenlight with Jeff Barge. Uh, and yeah, I mean, he has already more episodes than we do, Ricky, and he started a few weeks later. So What? We need to good. get on yeah. that. We need to <laughs> start producing more. <laughs> okay, that's it for now. See you in two weeks, guys. Yeah, and don't forget, shoot and edit like there's no tomorrow. Thanks for taking time out of your busy day. If you like what you've heard, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you've listened to this on. Your reviews help more people discover this show. You can also follow us on Instagram. Just search for at cut to reveal and tell your friends. And if you have any questions or comments, send them to podcast at cut to the point.com. And who knows, maybe we'll use them in the future episodes. And as we say around here, until the next time, shoot and edit like there is no tomorrow. <laughs>